Good morning. I'm just thinking about that last song that the choir sang, and thank you so much for that song. We stand forgiven at the cross. Can you raise your hand to that statement? Mm. Stand forgiven at the cross. Thank you, Ron and Kay and choir for blessing us with such wonderful music this morning, setting our hearts on the right path for worshiping our, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here today and we hope that you have brought your Bible with you. If you don't, uh, find one there in the pew close to you and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26 and we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 47 and down through 56. So Matthew 26. Uh, we're grateful for each of you that have come out today and have joined with us in the service. And I was just watching our children as they went down. That group seems to be growing every Sunday, and we're grateful for that, that uh, families are bringing their children to the house of God. Would you stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God as we read Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, Wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all of this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we stand in your presence this morning and in the presence of these precious people. We come to give you praise, to give you glory, give you honor and adoration that you and you alone are God. And you're the only one, Lord, that is worthy of our worship. Father, we come today bowing before you, Lord, Thanking you for the privilege to call upon your name in prayer. Thanking you, Father, for the scriptures that you have set before us today. And I pray, Lord, that you will open them to us, Father. I pray that you would help our minds, Lord, to concentrate on what you're saying to us from the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to speak your Word in truth. Father, we pray that you would give us listening ears and an open and receptive heart to obey what you would have us to do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. 
In studying this passage of scripture this week, uh, I found some different people in this passage of scripture that made different commitments to Christ. And I see that in our everyday life. There are some people who are sold out to Jesus, that he, he is the very center of their life. And everything that they say and do focuses around Jesus Christ. And then on the other spectrum, there are those who don't care very much for Christ or don't even have a commitment for him. Some that commit to him a little bit, others commit to him partially. We'll see five different commitments in this passage of scripture today. Now here's the scene. Jesus had taken his disciples upon the mountain, across the Kidron Valley. He had spent the night there in Gethsemane praying. One of his disciples, Judas, had gone away to betray him had gone to sell him to the highest bidder. Jesus had took Peter, James, and John and went a little farther with them into the Garden of Gethsemane and asked them to watch and pray while he went a, a little farther from them and he prayed. And we, we studied about that last Sunday, about that struggle that Jesus had there between heaven and hell and between uh, the flesh and the spirit between the devil and God. He's just finished his prayer. And in verse 40, 46, he says, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Jesus was aware of the fact that he would be betrayed. He can see those soldiers coming across the Kidron Valley, that mob that was headed his way. You see, it was in the middle of the night. They would have had torches in their hands so they could see to make their way out there. And Jesus could see those coming toward him. And he tells his disciples, it's time to get up. It's time for us to leave. But the Bible says, and while he yet spake, while he was saying those words, they arrive. Now I want us to look at these commitments. First of all, I want us to see a deceptive commitment. We'll talk about Judas here for a few minutes in verses 47 through 50. Who was Judas? Well, it says, and while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve. Judas was one of his disciples. He was one of those people that Jesus had handpicked to be his followers and his disciples. Judas was the one who probably was trusted the most among them because he was the treasurer of the group. As the Bible says, he carried the bag. He carried the bag that the money was put in, that they lived out of that, and uh, they supplied their needs and things with what money was there. But it was this same man 
who had gone to the high priest and had said to them, how much will you give me? You see, he was a man who was motivated by greed. Even though he was one of the twelve, while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude. And listen how Matthew describes this multitude. With swords and staves. Who were they? They were from the chief priests and elders of the people. These were a, a religious group of people that had come. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't the unbelievers. It was those who opposed Jesus Christ and they opposed His teaching. They opposed Him uh, cleaning the temple there at one point and uh, telling them that their worship was not exactly all that it could be. But Judas, one of the twelve, he leads this mob to Jesus. They come. Notice what it says about Judas in verse 48. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign. He had said to them, it's going to be dark out there. There's going to be more than Jesus there. You may not be able to recognize him, but I'll recognize him. And I'll go and I'll kiss him. And the one that I kiss, notice what he said, hold him fast. Don't you let him go. You hang on to him. You'd think that Judas would have thought Jesus was going to reach out and grab him or something. He was deceiving not only himself. He was deceiving even the ones he was leading over there. He was a deceitful person. Forthwith he came. He came to Jesus and he said, Hail, Master. I guess we'd say something like this. Well, good morning, Jesus. And then he kisses him. A hypocritical kiss. It wasn't that he loved Jesus. It wasn't that he was pleased with Jesus. He was very disappointed in Jesus. He wanted Jesus to rise up and declare war against the Romans and drive them out of the city of Jerusalem and out of the country of Israel. That's the kind of leader he was looking for. Came and kissed him. A hypocritical kiss. No compassion in it whatsoever. I guess we could call it a kiss of hatred. I want you to notice the question that Jesus asked him. In verse 50, Jesus said unto him, Friend, even though Jesus was being betrayed by this man, Jesus still called him friend. 
friend, wherefore art thou come? Or why are you here? That's a piercing question, isn't it? Why are you here? Jesus knew why he was there. Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus was well aware of that. But Jesus wanted Judas to do some thinking. Why are you here? We might ask ourselves that this morning. Why are we here? Are we here because we think it's expected of us? Are we here because it's the thing that we normally do? Or are we here to worship our Lord? If we're not here to worship the Lord, we're here for the wrong reason. And we need to change our reasons. He was there to betray Christ, not to love on Him. Now let's notice what happens here. We'll see another commitment. We see a carnal commitment. This is Peter that we're talking about. Friend, why aren't you here? And the Bible says, Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Judas had given them the sign that they were looking for. He had pointed out the one they had come to arrest. And immediately they grabbed Jesus. They laid hands on him. And I'll guarantee you they held on to him fast. The Bible talks about the bruises of Jesus. Have you ever had somebody grab you so hard that they would bruise you? I think this is what's happening here. Those men, they had no intentions of turning Jesus loose once they had their hands on him. They'd been anxious for this for quite some time. Verse 51 says, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus, one of his disciples, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this same story. They didn't tell us who it was. But John, who wrote his gospel, Sometime afterward, after Peter was dead, John tells us it was Peter. Peter who drew his sword. It was Peter who took a swing at the high priest's servant. His name was Malchus, according to John. And he cut his ear off. John tells us it was his right ear. You know what that tells me? It tells me Peter was left-handed. I'm left-handed. I pick up on things like that. If he was standing facing that man and he draws his sword and he cuts off his right ear, he did it with his left hand. Some Bible scholars say that probably the, that servant ducked his head this way. Peter was aiming for his head and just got his ear. You see, here is a man who operated on compulsion. A man who 
was dominated by the flesh, by his feelings. There's lots of people in our world today. They say, if it feels right, do it. Not necessarily. If God says it's right, do it. I'll agree with that. But our feelings are fickle. Our feelings are, are all over the place. But he depended on the flesh. You remember what Jesus told him over in verse 41? Jesus had said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was speaking to Peter when he said that. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Just a few minutes before that, he had said that to Peter. The flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Or did I get it wrong? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter didn't ask Jesus, do you want me to help you out of this situation? Peter, do you want me to fight for you? And we find in another place in the scripture that they had two swords. That's all they had among them. They'd asked Jesus, is that enough? And he said, yeah, that's enough. But he did a rash thing. He did something the flesh told him to do. And I want you to notice what Jesus said to him. Verse 52, then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Jesus understood that all those people had come out there. He tells them they have come with swords and with staves, or in other words, uh, clubs. They've come out prepared for a battle. And Jesus understood that Peter acting in the flesh by pulling his sword, that he opened himself up to them attacking him and killing him. He didn't want Peter hurt. Jesus rebukes him. A lot of times we tend to get in the flesh instead of in the spirit. We may say something or do something. And if we're close to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak just so quick. Rebuke us. You ever had that to happen? happened to me more than once down through the years. And I'm glad for that because that's the Lord's correction. That's Him putting us back on track. There was the opposition's commitment. Look at verse 55. I'm going to skip over one here and come back to it. In that same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, to this mob that comes out there, are you come out as against a thief? Do you think I'm a thief? Am I a robber? Am I a criminal? Do you think I'm that? You've come out against a thief with swords and stays for to take me? You've come armed for war. You've come out here like you've come after a criminal. I sat daily with you. Where? 
teaching in the temple. Jesus had been teaching in the temple every day since he arrived there in Jerusalem. They had sat, they had heard him teach. They knew he wasn't a thief. They knew he wasn't a criminal. But they didn't like what he taught. What he taught convicted them. What he taught tore up their playhouse, so to speak. What he taught had made them angry. They were very committed. They were motivated by power. They were going to flex their muscles. They were going to show Jesus who was really in charge in Jerusalem. Jesus says, I sat daily in the temple teaching. He didn't try to arrest me there. But they were committed to arrest him. Not only to arrest him, but to torture him. Not only to arrest and torture him, but to kill him. They had been plotting this for a long time. They had been told, now don't do this on the Passover because it'll cause an uprising among the people. But what they didn't get was God had a plan for it to happen on the Passover because Jesus is the Passover lamb and the lamb is to be killed on Passover. The fourth commitment, a total commitment. This is Jesus. How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus had a total commitment. He was motivated by the Spirit of God. I want you to notice, he could have saved himself. Look what he said to Peter there in verse 3. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Peter, you, you draw your sword, you cut a man's ear off. Do you think that I'm powerless? Peter, don't you know that I can pray to my Father? And he will give me more than 12 legions of angels. The best that I can determine, a legion of soldiers was 6,000 soldiers. 12 legions would be 72,000. Not soldiers, but angels. I've read that it's high as many as 80,000 angels. It doesn't matter. One angel could have done the job. One angel could have set him free. But this wasn't God's plan. 
Jesus' plan was to fulfill the Scripture. All this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. All of it. Let's look at the fifth one here. We'll call this a broken commitment. The latter part of verse 56 says something very sad. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus had just told them that night what was going to happen. Verse 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Just a few brief minutes before that, when Jesus had told them what was going to happen, that the shepherd would be smitten, and the flock would scatter. Oh, no, Lord, not us. Uh-uh. No. You got it all wrong, Lord. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They were motivated by fear. Fear that they too would be arrested. Fear that they too might be crucified. They ran. Yes, it's true that they ran. But it's also true that they came back, at least some of them. We saw John at the foot of the cross, standing there with Mary. And Jesus, as he hung on that cross, committed her into John's hands. We see Peter who followed him into the high priest's palace. But we see something else. We have to look elsewhere. What happened to these disciples after the crucifixion of Jesus? What happened to them after his resurrection? Well, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, it tells us about Judas. That Judas went out and hanged himself. He committed suicide. He had betrayed the Son of God. We find in Matthew 26 and verse 75, where Peter went out and wept bitterly. He repented. I got my Fox's Book of Martyrs out. And I began to search to see if I could find what happened to the other disciples. Where did they go? What did they do? Well, let me share with you. Now Judas had killed himself. I've already shared with you that Peter repented. 
Do you know that Peter was crucified upside down? He was preaching the gospel in Rome. He was arrested. He was tried. And he was found guilty of preaching about this Jesus that we love so much. That he was sentenced to be crucified. Peter had a request. He said, I'm not worthy to be put to death in the same manner that my Lord was. Crucify me upside down. So instead of him being on a cross upright like this, his feet was over his head. His head was down at the bottom of the cross. And he died on that cross. James, the son of Zebedee, another of Jesus' disciples, the brother of John. He was beheaded in the year A.D. 44 for preaching the gospel. Philip, another disciple, he was scourged, he was imprisoned, and he was crucified in the year A.D. 54 at Heliopolis. Matthew, the one who wrote this passage that we're studying today, he was slain with something called a halberd, and I never have been able to find out what kind of tool that was. But it happened at Nadaba in A.D. 60. James the Less, that other James, he was beaten, stoned, his brains were beaten out by the Jews when he was 94 years old. Why? Because he was preaching about Jesus. Matthias, the one who took Judas's place, he was stoned and beheaded at Jerusalem. Why? He preached Jesus. Andrew and Jude were both crucified at Edessa in A.D. 72. Why? Because they preached Jesus. Bartholomew was crucified in India. You see, all the different nations, the gospel began to spread into nations. Thomas, he was thrust through with a spear in India. Simon Zelotes, he was crucified in Britain in A.D. 74. John, the disciple, the one who wrote the book of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, is the only disciple of Jesus that died a natural death. All the rest of them were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. They tried to kill John. Nero had him boiled in a big kettle of oil. But God protected him. It didn't kill him. So Nero exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And it was while he was on the Isle of Patmos out there that he wrote the book that we call the book of Revelation. Who tells us about the end time. John died a natural death as an old, old man. That's all found in Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
What's your commitment to Jesus? Is it a deceptive commitment? You playing the part? Is it a carnal commitment? Just, you know, whatever you can do in the flesh, it's okay. But let's not talk about getting filled with the Spirit or anything like that. Is it a broken commitment? You started out traveling for Jesus. If you laid the cross aside, you've gone back to the ways of the world. You love the world more than you love Jesus. The kind of commitment the Lord wants us to have is that total commitment. Being sold out to Him. I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers talk about he brought the pastor from Seoul, South Korea to Memphis to preach at Belmont Baptist Church, Bellevue. Dr. Younga Cho. It's the largest church in the world. Every Sunday, every Sabbath day, they have services that go on all day long. Their building seats thousands, and it fills up several times over the day as they have one service right after another. And Dr. Younga Cho had preached there at Bellevue, and Dr. Rogers asked him, What difference do you see in the church in America than what you see in South Korea? And Dr. Cho said, Dr. Rogers, he said, I've noticed here in the United States, you use the word commitment. He said, we don't use the word commitment. We use the word surrender. He said, our people are surrendered to Jesus Christ. They're not just committed, they're surrendered. That's the kind of commitment Jesus wants us to have. As the Lord speaks to our hearts today, Perhaps he's saying to us, don't be so concerned about commitment. Be concerned about whether or not we're surrendered to him. You see, surrendered says, Jesus is Lord, and I do whatever he says. It's not the other way around that Jesus is my servant. And I tell him what to do. No. We listen to him. We get our marching orders from him. And we obey him. So we bow our heads in a moment of prayer today. I don't know what God may be saying to you. There may be some here today that you are lost. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It would be a good time to come and meet him today. Others said, you've drifted away from the Lord. And you hear him saying, return to me, and I'll return to you.
Maybe others that you need to come and profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've been saved, but you've never publicly acknowledged that. Why don't you do that? It's a good thing to do. Let's stand together and bow our heads in prayer. Father, we stand before you this morning. Our hearts are heavy, Lord. Heavy for your people. Heavy, Lord, that we, over the years, we've just drifted farther and farther away from you. We've allowed our pride, Lord, to stand in our way of coming back to you. We've tried to be pleasing to you and to the world. We've tried to straddle the fence. But Lord, we found out that doesn't work. And Father, as you call to hearts here today, may we respond to your calling. If there's someone here lost today, Lord, tug upon their heart and help them to come and trust Jesus. For someone that needs to follow in baptism, help them to come and follow in baptism. Others may need to just come and fall on this altar and weep their way back to you. Lord, may your will be done. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.